0: all of this, that I do, I want you to know that I always take that very seriously, and I always study, and I always try to give you good information. But there are some times, there are some times that the Lord wakes me up or speaks, and I know that it's His voice, and He says, I have a specific word for those people at that time. And this is one of those times. Um, unfortunately for me, it came at four o'clock in the morning at a BQE. We had had a quiz the night before that got all the way through question fifteen, and we f- discovered that the quiz had already been read, and they had to start the whole thing over. So I got home, or not home, but to a bed, <laughs> about one o'clock in the morning, and about four forty-four, the Lord woke me up, and He gave me a passage of Scripture. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was for this morning and it was for you. And the Lord knew who would be here. And it doesn't always happen that way. But when he impresses me with a specific word, I want you to understand that God knows where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what path you are on. And what you are dealing with. Um, We said it last week. Anybody that knows how many hairs are on your head, uh, you don't even know that. If he knows that, he's into details about you and he cares about you. And I want to direct your attention to a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to all of you, I'm sure. In fact, this passage of Scripture is referred to in not only in church settings, but people will refer to this because if there was ever anyone who gave Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day a run for their money, it's this story right here. This is a true story. And it's in the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 1. It's a lengthy reading, but I want to take the time to read it this morning, if you will give me that grace to allow me to do that. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 22 in, the, in Job. It says, in the land of Uz, wow, that sounds like a great start already. You live, I, where, do you, where are you from, Uz? I'm from Uz. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job, and this man was blameless and upright. He feared God. And shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. I am reading from the New International Version. Just so you know, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angel came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing?' Satan replied. "'Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has?' You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God." Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. After you read that, really, all you can say is, wow. It's like the old Indian proverb where the man said, you know, I complained that I had no shoes until I saw the man that had no feet. Because all of us find ourselves in straits of confusion, of suffering, of calamity. But I don't know any of us that have experienced a day like we just heard in the scripture that Job experienced. We've all heard stories and we're acquainted with people who have experienced devastating consequences of their decisions. How many of you have ever known that what you were experiencing and what you were going through was a result of some decision that you made? I mean, I I've known that some of the things I'm traveling through is because of me. And one can almost be lulled into a safety zone when they hear of someone's difficulties as a result of poor decisions or sin. Because we think, well, that makes sense. We understand why that's happening. You know, when you walk out in front of a Mack truck going 60 miles an hour, there are some consequences. And we understand those consequences. You know, if I decide I'm going to um, decide or figure out if I can fly and I get up on that banister and take a leap, you're going to understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through it. Bless her heart, she was an idiot. She made a a very terrible decision. Um, We do realize from principles set forth in the Scripture that there is a law of sowing and reaping. By the way, Taryn, there's a purse behind you, and it's got a phone in it at twenty. It's going to go off. Would you get that and just hold it? Thank you. Because everybody will be looking for it. But that's what's going to happen. I'm just going to tell you. Galatians six seven says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He, Hosea eight seven says... They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Those passages in our human understanding seem to make sense. Yes, they're still painful. And yes, we, we believe and we ask and we plead for mercy. We say, God, if you'll just help me through this, I promise I won't do this again, Lord. I have a witness. You know what I'm talking about. Those things make sense. And we, we understand that we've got to understand that there's painful things. And, and we understand why we are suffering. But that's another lesson for a different time. Because in this passage, we are presented with a totally different picture. And this picture is one that is harder for us to wrap our minds around for understanding. Because Job, from our reading, has been presented by the Lord as his poster child. If the Lord, and and I am not being disrespectful in any means, but if the Lord could ever trash talk, that seems to be where it occurred in the Scripture. Because Satan shows up and he crashes the Lord's house and he shares that he's been checking out things all over the place in God's territory. And the Lord says to him, and it almost sounds like he's just really getting in satan's face hey while well, you've been going around by the way while you were roaming around did you ever notice my servant named job he's blameless he's upright he is a great guy he's amazing he's wonderful he's awesome and satan lets him know yeah i've noticed i've noticed job lord i've noticed him and it's pretty obvious that his devotion and his commitment is tied to what you do for him. You pamper that guy. You spoil him. He's got everything he wants and more. And if you would just change that a little bit. If you would just take that fence that you've got around him and let me get to him. I'm telling you, your poster boy Is gonna become a bad boy. There's a challenge there that's put forth. And the Lord doesn't hesitate to accept that challenge. And this is where our human understanding gets a little confused about the whole thing and even a little scary. Because guess what? Job wasn't at that meeting. And of all the people that this could have happened to, we just didn't think it would happen to Job. We thought this was the safety zone. That's the place we're aiming to go for, that place of sainthood that you get so close to God and you're so good and you're so perfect that it lifts you above bad things happening to you. And we rationalize in our minds that if we re- we reach some pinnacle of goodness and good behavior and favor with God, we'll get a free pass from trials and tribulations. But God upsets the human cart of our understanding and reasoning because this guy, if anybody had the goods, he's got it. He serves the Lord with all of his heart. We heard he's a great father. He not only purifies himself, but he, he lays out sacrifices for his children just in case they made a mistake. He does that, It said, daily, and he does it all the time. And seemingly, Job is a virtual saint. And we, we've had those situations where I remember when Steve and Barb Willoughby who left the comforts of home and went and started work in Singapore and was having an awesome revival. And a church was built there that was unbelievable and incredible. And both of them were struck with cancer. Both of them died and three of their children were left. And then suddenly it's like, hey, wait a minute. That, that kind of thing is not supposed to happen because they were doing your work and they had it all together. And how does this happen, Lord? And you know what? Job's friends come by, and, and they start trying to help him understand what's going on here. And they say different things, and some of it starts out as comfort. And like, well, Job, you know, you've helped everybody else through a lot of things, and so now it's your turn. You've got, we've got to help you through some of these things. And, and, and pretty soon it degenerated down to it was so negative That, hey, Job, maybe there's been things that we thought, we thought we knew who you were. We thought we knew that you were a good guy, but maybe, maybe there's just things inside of you that has caused this to happen. It's hard for the human mind to wrap themselves around this principle. You have to be careful who you listen to. I want you, I'm gonna say this. It has nothing to do with this lesson, but I'm going to tell you this. Carnal understanding and logic will never understand the ways of the Spirit. And if you put yourself in a position to be listening to people who are going to try to understand your situation and put it in blocks that we all can get our mind wrapped around, you better be careful because it cannot be explained that way or understood that way. The ways of the Lord are above our understanding. That's why He's God and we're not. This guy that we thought was untouchable is experiencing the worst nightmare that we could ever imagine. But what interests me is Job's response. You heard in our reading everything that he went through. And when finally it was the last straw that was going to break the camel's back, Job shaves his head, rips his clothes, and he kneels and he worships when I am bewildered, when I am confused, when I am hurting, when I am questioning, is not the time to pull back from him and to say, God, I don't understand. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? That is when I need him the most. Relationships are forged when we share our pain, when we make ourselves vulnerable, when we open ourselves to the possibility of being hurt. And there's another principle that jumps out at me in this reading is the fact that when we go through things that many times we feel punished. But do you see what transpired? And I understand and I said it. Job wasn't at that meeting But the Lord was actually expressing confidence in Job. And when we go through things, could it be that he's saying, you know what? This is my guy. This is my girl. They are exactly who I want them to be. And they are in the process. And it is not punishment, but it is him saying, they have got what it takes and they will make it. He says to Satan, this is my star guy, and I know that his motivation is way past comfort and a cushy life. His motivation is because he loves me and because he serves me and because he trusts me. I remember as a young evangelist uh, wife, I wasn't the evangelist. I was the sidekick, but we had this little colt and it had a lot of miles on it, it had about 200,000 miles on it, we were driving to revivals. This colt, this Plymouth colt, it was paid for though, thank the Lord for our little colt. That colt was so little that when my husband was a youth pastor, um, he would tie a bumper to the, uh, not a bumper, a hood to the back of the bumper and they would go through Cutler because there was so much snow, no cars were out. And he would take those young people on that hood. Oh, dear God. Thank you, Lord, for your protection right now, Jesus. Anyway, they would go on that hood, and that car would slide off into a ditch. And all the young people would get off the hood and pick the car up and set it. That's how little it was. Set it back on the road, and there they'd go again. And the air conditioner was one of those that it would freeze up, and then it would unfreeze. And when we would turn a corner... I found this out a hard way in the dark one night on the road. We would turn the corner, and this ice-cold water would just come pouring out of this condenser thing that was in the car. So we had a cup, and every time when my husband, he would say, okay, put the cup on the right side, and we, I'd put it in, and here it come. We'd fill it up. If on the left side, you know, and, and this would happen. So you understand it was not the car of your dreams. But it got us to the revivals where we were going. And so that's, that's what we drove. Well, we went to this one particular church, and there was this man in the church that sold vehicles. And he could get these cars for unbelievable prices. And he was talking to us about it. And he said, I've got this Aldi on my lot. And we're like, oh, no, we can't touch that. And he said, but it was like $7,000. And we're like, because I, we pre- I was pregnant, and I knew that when twins got put in the back seat of that colt, there was going to be no luggage. It was going to be kids or luggage. We're going to have to make a choice. That was just going to be the way it was, uh, this little hatchback colt. So we, we got that car. And I'm going to tell you that if you want to research, I think it was 84 Audis, and it's like the year of the lemon. But we didn't know that. We were ignorant, young, trying to do a work for God. Everything that could go wrong with that car, and every time that you pulled into a lot or a dealership for them to fix it, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you said there is a speck on the windshield, they would go, that's $200. Just, that's just the way it was. We didn't have $200. So it was like, you know, push up the power windows, whatever you have to do. Finally, the Lord allowed the transmission to go out on the thing, and a man in my dad's church, at the time who was a mechanic, he purchased a, a transmission or a motor—I don't remember what—went out from an '83 Audi and thought it would work, and it did. And finally, when he got it in there, he said, "I'm gonna tell you, Sister Cheryl." He's just old country man. He said, "I'm gonna tell you, I thought about just putting this at the top of the hill and putting it in drive." And sending it over a cliff and letting you just get the insurance. Brother, why didn't you let the Lord just go ahead and lead you in that way? But needless to say, we, every time we turned around, something happened to that car. Thankfully, to make a long story short, um, we sold that car to some other gullible person. No, it really wasn't. It was a guy that knew exactly what he was getting. But we sold it, and we still had our little Colt, and we went right back to that little Colt and drove it for another 100,000 miles. But I remember being in that situation at the time, strapped, no money, and this car, and it just seemed like, I mean, I was so stressed with that car that when I went to get my sugar checked, it, it ended up being it was that pregnancy test you take for sugar my sugar didn't it was at 400 and they were just like you know they were ready to put me in the hospital and i'm just like you know if you'll just give me an opportunity i can get this down i am the problem i know i'm the problem but that's where i was and i remember weeping and crying and i remember talking to my dad and i was like dad i just i don't understand we're we've left what was secure and we're out here evangelizing it was you know one of those oh, poor me but we, I felt like God had deserted us. And I was like, why would this be allowed to happen? And, and he goes through the list. And he said, well, are you paying your tithes, number one? Yes, Dad. It's not much, but we're paying them, Lord. I promise. And, okay, well, do you have sin in your life? Is there things that you, unrepentant sin, things that, no, Dad, as far as I know, unless it's just, you know, I, I, think, I think we're doing everything we're supposed to do. And he said, well, then... All I can tell you is this, you got to trust the Lord because He knows where you are and He's going to bring you through this. And when you come through this, you will be better than when you went into it. And you know what? He was right. I, I remember, Heather, I thought about you as I was studying for this lesson. That long wait for that job. You know what? Sometimes you don't understand that. It's like, Lord, what are you doing What are you trying to do? Lord, do you even exist anymore? Do you remember me? You know what my name is. Hello, here I am. But I'm here to tell you today that the Lord has confidence in you. You are his child. He will bring you through. He knows what you can handle, and he will not allow more on you than you're able to bear. We see this exemplified in the book of Acts, and you're going to hear a lot about Acts, but I'm sorry, I'm eating and living and breathing Acts right now. That's what quizzing is in, and, and, and I, I, I've fallen in love again and again with Acts this year. We see it in the book of Acts because there's a dispute that arises because of alleged neglect of the Grecian widows by the disciples. And they're in a big fight. And they say, you know what? You're not taking care of our widows. And the disciples are frustrated because they're being forced to neglect their prayer and their study of the word. And both are important. The widows, the prayer and the study of the word, they're very important. But for the disciples, prayer and the study of word of the word trump the list for them. And their solution was to appoint seven men, the Bible says, of honest report full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom, who they could appoint over this business. Now, there was a guy that was part of those seven, and his name was Stephen. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, I want to read a description of Stephen and what he did. In chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Sicilia and of Asia disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake or spoke. I want to tell you this. Stephen is another one of God's poster childs. In fact, it says that they got so angry with him, they brought him before the council, and Stephen starts testifying and preaching to them, and it said that his face was shining like an angel. But I'm going to tell you this, by the time he got finished with that message, they were so mad at him that the scripture says that they came on him and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I don't think anyone except my sister has ever been that mad at me before that she gnashed on me with her teeth and fingernails and anything else. But that's how mad they were at Stephen. And this is another seeming example of injustice because Stephen seems to be a shining example of a man because the end result of that message and this holy, godly man is that they brought false accusations against him and before it was over, they took him outside of the city and they stoned him to death. Here's somebody who seems to be doing everything right but he gets a bad report. I believe the early church had received a revelation that we in the 21st century struggle with at times. Because look at his response. In, 50, in verse, chapter 7, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The chapter ends right there. But it seems like to me that there should be another verse after that last one that says, And God came down from heaven, and he slew all of those evil, self-righteous, wicked men, and he raised Stephen to life, and the church lived happily ever after. Because it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right that a man full of wisdom and honest report and goodness and a desire to spread the word of God should fall and be stoned to death. But that's the way it ended. And I want to draw your attention to the way that the mindset of the disciples had changed. When Jesus had spoken of the suffering and death that was coming to him before he was ever taken to heaven, if you read in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, we see Peter's response to this. Jesus had told them, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to read it, 16:21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. These were the same guys who in chapter 7 stoned Stephen. And be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. Peter must have felt very strongly about this because he began to rebuke the Lord, the Scripture says. And he said, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, You get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you us not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus was pushing back against the idea that favor with God is synonymous with no pain and no suffering. But we can see a shift in the thought pattern of the disciples because the very guy who said, Oh, no, Lord, don't talk about those kind of things. That shouldn't be. There shouldn't be this suffering and this pain. That same man, Peter, who rebuked the Lord and shrank from the aspect of suffering, we pick up his story in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles... Were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and of women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night, we like this part, opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Then came one and told them, saying, behold, the men whom ye put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them... They set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straitly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Sounds like a stand-up guy. Sounds like he's making the right choice, but let's drop down to verse 34 of that same chapter. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose Epthutus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So here we go. The same guy who said, Oh Lord, not that way of suffering. He has made the right choice. He has done exactly what God has told him to do. And he gets called in, he gets put in prison, and then they beat him. But look at the next verse. Verse 41, you see that they have finally grasped what Jesus was trying to teach them. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Say that with me, rejoicing. Again, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a transformation. My trials and my tribulations remind me, I am not, I don't belong here. I am a pilgrim that's passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. After a while, it will all be over. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning And until I get there, he says, I have confidence in you. You can make it. You've got what it takes. I mentioned to you that I was at Bible quizzing extravaganza this weekend. And that morning, the Lord had woken me up and given me this. And I knew what I was going to share with you. And they always have a devotion and a rally. And at this particular devotion, The Lord allowed me to hear a story that I'm going to share with you. Josh Carson, our National Youth Secretary, shared this, and I felt a confirmation in my spirit. And I began to research the story that he briefly shared with us. And maybe some of you are aware of this. I had never heard this before. But there was a great experiment in the desert in Oracle, Arizona. And it was called the biodome. And this biodome, they created a living environment for human, plant, and animal life. And it was a huge glass dome. If you go online, you can see it. It still exists. It now is owned by the University of Arizona, and they use it for research. And, but at that time, it was a human experiment. And they had this huge glass dome that was constructed to house an artificial, controlled environment with purified air and water and healthy soil and filtered light. And their intent was to provide perfect growing conditions for trees, fruits, and vegetables, and humans. They were creating a virtual Garden of Eden. And they consumed the same low-calorie, nutrient-dense diet which Roy Walford had studied in his research on expanding lifespan through diet. And medical markers indicated that the health of the crew during those two years was excellent. Now I will say this, I read some of my research that part of the problem is they all squabbled though even with just the few amount that was in there they had a hard time getting along and that made a big mess of things. But they showed the same improvement in health such as lowering of blood cholesterol, blood pressure, enhancement of immune system. They lost an average of 16 percent of their pre-entry body weight before stabilizing and regaining some weight during their second year. And subsequent studies showed that their metabolism became more efficient at extracting nutrients from their food because of their low-calorie, high-nutrient diet. And they lived in this biodome for many months at a time, and everything seemed to do well, with one exception. When the trees grew to a certain height, Their wood started to get, they looked beautiful, and they looked excellent, and they looked like exactly what you want a tree to look like, but the wood became soft and began to start to peel, and eventually the trees would start to topple over. They actually had to get uh, straps to hold them and tie them to keep them to stand upright or they would fall over, and it baffled the scientists because this was perfect conditions. This was everything just as it should be. But they forgot to include the natural element of wind. Because trees need wind to blow against them to cause their root systems to grow deeper, which supports the tree and makes it to grow taller. The University of Columbia has conducted many experiences experiments in the biodome. And the agricultural area stands about 60 feet high at its highest point, allowing those trees to grow to maturity. But what they found is that trees need to be shaken and trees need to be bent to grow straight and strong. And so now they have to understand that for those trees in that perfect environment to survive. They had to get massive, huge fans to blow strong, powerful winds to cause those trees to go back and forth so that those trees' roots would grow down and grow deep and would cause them to be healthy and that they would have to have these for them to grow as they should. I want to ask you, who among us wouldn't ask for the perfect growing environment? for ourselves, with no disruptions from any outside influences, no pain, no suffering. And Lord, if you'll just line all this up like we need it to be, I can make it. We strive to avoid the times of contrast and tension and when life's challenges come against us. But when they do come, we feel we're being punished. We feel that Maybe we're not doing enough. Maybe there's some flaw in us that God's pinpointing because he's angry with us. But I submit to you today that God understands that if we're going to become the people that he wants us to be, that can stand through every testing and every time of trial, then the wind has got to come and the trials have to come. Because that's when our roots are going to go deep. We can learn so much from nature's wisdom at work if we're open to this lesson. Yes, yes, there have been times when that wind has blown me until I thought, I'm going to snap. But the Lord says, oh no, have you considered my servant? Have you considered that no matter what comes against them, they will arise? They will fight on. They will make it. They will go as they need to go. Name of I pray right now, Lord Jesus. You see your children, Lord, who are experiencing the night, who are experiencing, Lord Jesus times of testing, times of growing. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we understand that you will bring us through, that you will not leave us, that you know what we're made of and you know, Lord Jesus, how much we can bear. And you will, with the temptation, you will make a way of escape. We rest in that. We stand on that. We trust you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When the wind comes. If that tree, you've seen it. You've seen it. When things stand rigid against it. And fight against it. And resist it. It does break. It does destroy it. But when we understand I know that if I'm going this way, he's going with me. When you push me this way, Lord, I know you're going with me and you're not so much concerned with what I go through, but you want me to know that you're going with me and you will bring me to the other side. If we learn to accept what he brings into our life is what we need what he's going to use to grow me into the person that I'm supposed to be. It changes my perspective. I'm not being punished. I'm being challenged to go and grow with you, Lord, in a way that you've never, ever done before. Heard, I thought about you. Because we go through those times and the Lord does give us those words that says, I'm refining you, I'm growing you but it's not fun and it's not easy. It doesn't bring smiles but I'm going to tell you what happens is a muscle of faith begins to grow in your life as it never, ever did before. You don't take a little sapling and twist it down to the ground because it won't survive, but you know what? That wind, it increases and it, and every time it grows a little more and those roots go down a little deeper until yes, there is a tree there that can withstand what is coming. You and I don't know what we have to face, but the God of heaven knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is coming. He knows what we need. And I'm going to trust Him. I may not understand, Lord, what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. Those experiences are what develop our character, and it deepens our spiritual root. And when those roots grow deep, we can stand tall. I am encouraged by every gray headed pillar that sits in this room, because I know that it's a testimony to me that we can make it, we can go through. God has not left us. When the storm comes, I know, (laughs) I know the master of the wind. He may not deliver me from the storm, but he's going to deliver my spirit. He's going to take me to that place that I need to go, and I can trust him. Will you thank him right now? (laughs) Oh, we thank you, Lord. (laughs) We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. Oh, we wait on you. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. I think about that song. I've been through enough to know he's going to be enough to see me through. Every time that I think that I surely can't take one more thing, Lord. Lord, Lord, but the Lord says, Peter, step out and come to me. I'm going to walk with you. And sometimes when we step out in faith, we fall and we go through the water. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord didn't let him drown. No, he came out there and met him, and he walked with him back into the safety of that boat. And I want you to understand that there are trials and tribulations that you will never understand this side of heaven. But I'm telling you that if you put your hand In His hand, you will make it through. And you will lead your children to the other side. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going through, Lord Jesus. (laughs) I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I don't know what testing and what trial. I don't know who will hurt me. But I'm not closing myself to it and saying, Oh no, Lord, not that way of suffering. I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to walk trust and faith that you're bringing me through, and I can depend upon you, and I can trust you. I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to tell them the wind's blowing hard, but I'm growing deep roots. I can take you to altars right now This church maybe not here other place in this church that I said oh Lord whatever it takes draw closer to you Lord that's that's what I'm willing to do he took me at my word Sometimes I came through those things. And I, I got to be honest with you right now that I was a, real, a little reluctant to walk back up. Sometimes it took months to walk back up and say, I trust you, Lord. But you know what was in the back of my mind? What if I have to go through that again? Lord, that, I don't think I can do that again, Lord. But I've learned, I've learned that I can depend upon him. He is more concerned in growing me than pampering me. He's more concerned in what I'm going to become than me enjoying trouble free. I want you to understand that the Lord has come to tell you that He has not left you, He has not deserted you, He is not punishing you, but He believes in you. He has confidence in you. And He will bring you through this to the other side. Would you stand? I want us right now to just lift our hands to Him. Now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what it is that you're reluctant to put in his hands. But I want you right now, whether it's your children, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's your reputation, whether it's your job, whatever it is, I want you to commit it to him again today and tell him in your own way, Lord, we trust you. <laughs> We trust you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. We know, God, that we may not understand. We know, Lord, that we don't always can put it in logic. But, oh God, there is one thing we know that our Redeemer lives and that he will never leave us, never forsake us. <laughs> That he will go with us, your word says, to the end of the world. (laughs) Hallelujah! Would you just worship him?